it records that the Samaritans tricked the Jewish people during the time of the Exodus. Well, that's a thousand-year error there. The Samaritans don't exist for another thousand years after the Exodus. And so on issues like that, Muhammad showed that he was mistaken about the scriptures, and there are just numerous errors like that throughout the Quran, and so he was rejected by the Jews and the Christians. Well, eventually, Muhammad fled Mecca and went north to the city of Medina there in one of the most important events in Islamic history known as the Hydra. And there he fled to the city of Medina. And there, according to Islamic tradition, it states that he gathered an army and he gathered quite a following, raiding caravans. And as he continued to gain a following here, he turned hostile against the Jews and the Christians. Well, the final blow came at the siege of Medina in 627 A.D. In 627 A.D., the army from Mecca, seeing that their caravans were being raided, needed to stop Muhammad. And so there were a series of battles, and finally the Meccan army came to the city of Medina and lay siege to the city of Medina, seeking to destroy Muhammad and his army. Well, after several weeks of a siege, the army of Mecca was unable to capture Medina. Muhammad, being a master military strategist, built a large trench around the city of Medina. And so the Meccan army was unable to capture Muhammad and his men, and eventually they retreated back to the city of Mecca. Well, Muhammad believed that the Jews of Medina had plotted with the army of Mecca against Muhammad. And so after the Meccan army withdrew and failed to capture the city, Ibn Ishaq, this is the most authoritative and really the only early biography of Muhammad written about 200 years after the supposed life of the Prophet. Ibn Ishaq records that Muhammad marched six to 700 Jewish men outside the city to the trench and there beheaded them. Other historians estimate the numbers to be as high as eight to 900 where he beheaded the Jews of Medina and sold their women and children off to slavery. And that was the final blow. And from then on, Muhammad is very hostile to the Jews and the Christians and views them as adversaries from here on out. In fact, treatment of the Jews and the Christians is also recorded in the Quran. Here are some passages from the Quran that write on how to treat unbelievers and including Jews and Christians. In chapter 9 of the Quran, which is one of the most important chapters of the Quran regarding treatment of the unbelievers, chapter 9 is known as the Surah of the Sword, and these are later in the life of Muhammad. And if you understand the Islamic law of abrogation, the later surahs override or have authority over the earlier surahs. And so, though Muhammad may have been friendly and more tolerant of unbelievers early on in his life, later on these surahs are abrogated by the later surahs or the later chapters. And so the later chapters have authority and Surah or chapter 9 of the Quran is one of the later surahs that have authority and override the previous ones. And chapter 9 gives guidelines on how to treat the unbelievers. Muhammad writes in chapter 9 of the Quran, Fight those who believe not in Allah nor the last day. 
nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his apostle, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book. People of the book there represent Jews and Christians. Until they pay the jizya, the heavy tax of unbelievers, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. So according to chapter 9 of the Quran, the unbeliever has three choices. Convert, meet the sword, or pay the heavy jizya tax, the heavy tax that unbelievers pay, and live as second-class citizens. Those are the choices of unbelievers. Verse 30 of chapter 9, later on in that chapter, says this, And the Jews say Uzar, or Ezra, is the son of Allah. And the Christians say the Messiah is the son of Allah. These are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disobeyed before. May Allah destroy them, how they are turned away. So here you can see, Muhammad believes that Jews and Christians have committed the sin of blasphemy. And in Islam, blasphemy or shirk is the unpardonable sin worthy of death. Chapter 5 of the Quran reads, O you who believe, do not take the Jews and Christians for friends. They are friends of each other, and whoever amongst you takes them for a friend, then surely he is one of them. Surely Allah does not guide the unjust people. Later on in chapter 5 of the Quran, it says, Say, O followers of the book, that refers to Jews and Christians, do you find fault with us, except that we believe in Allah and what has been revealed to us and what was revealed before, and that most of you are transgressors? Say, shall I inform you of him who is worse than this in the retribution of Allah? Worse is he whom Allah has cursed and brought his wrath upon, and of whom he made apes and swine, and he who served Satan. These are worse in place and more erring from the straight path. So there in chapter 5 is a strong word of condemnation to people of the book who did not choose to believe Muhammad was the prophet of Allah and follow the teachings of the Quran. So Muhammad was hostile to the Jews and Christians and this hostility carried on with his followers. And the animosity for the Jews and Christians is not only in the history of Islam but also in their eschatology. According to Islamic teaching, the Mahdi, or the Islamic Messiah, remains hiding in a well in Samarra, Iraq, for over a thousand years. Now, there are several factors that prevent the ascension of the Mahdi. Remember, in Islamic eschatology, one day the Mahdi shall arise from his place of hiding in the well in Samarra, Iraq, and lead the Islamic armies to war and bring in the Golden Age of Islam. Well, there are several factors that prevent the ascension of the Mahdi. One is the occupation of Islamic lands by the Crusader armies of the West. That is, powers such as the United States there in Saudi Arabia and in the Holy Lands of Iraq and the Middle East. And the existence of the nation of Israel. According to Islamic eschatology, in the Hadith, remember, is the second most important book of Islam or volumes of books of Islam, Next to the Quran, according to the Hadith, the Mahdi shall return and lead the armies of Islam to war, and he will make wide slaughter of the unbelievers. And two people groups most named in the Hadith who will be destroyed are the Jews and the Christians. Also, according to Islamic eschatology, 
Jesus will return as a radical Muslim. According to the Hadith, Jesus will descend and meet the army of the Mahdi and join the Mahdi in battle against the unbelievers. Jesus will institute and enforce Islamic Sharia law and he will lead many Christians to Islam. And in the Hadith by Bukhari, Volume 3, Book 43, verse number 656, it states that Jesus will abolish Christianity. It says here, the prophet said, There is no prophet between me and him, that is Jesus. He will descend to the earth. He will break the cross, kill swine, and abolish the jizya, or the tax of unbelievers. Allah will perish all religions except Islam. So according to Islamic eschatology, they will do away with the jizya tax or the tax upon the unbelievers. And so really there's only two options then left for the unbelievers in the end times. That is to convert or meet the sword. So as you can see, the animosity between the Islamic world and the nation of Israel goes all the way back to the time of Muhammad and is rooted in the teachings of the Quran and Islamic eschatology. Now, is there a connection to Bible prophecy here? Well, the events going on in the Middle East today are not the fulfillment of future Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation and the Olivet Discourse. However, there's something to keep an eye on because they indeed do set the stage for the things that are to come. And a very interesting prophecy to look at is the famous Gog and Magog prophecy in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. Now, remember the sequence of events that will occur at the end of the age. Any moment now, Christ will come for his church and take them out of the world in an event called the rapture, when the church or the true believers in Christ are suddenly taken out of this world, following the rapture which is recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Following the rapture comes the seven-year tribulation. And the events of the seven-year tribulation are recorded in Revelation chapter 4 through 19. The end of the tribulation is recorded in Revelation chapter 20 in the return of Christ, where Christ meets the armies of the world led by the Antichrist and the false prophet for battle. They are recorded in Revelation chapter 20, and the Antichrist and his forces are defeated. And after that, Revelation 20 verses 1 through 6 comes the millennial or the thousand-year rule of Christ. Now that's the timeline for the events of the end times. Now this famous battle of Gog and Magog recorded in Ezekiel 38 and 39 occur right after the rapture but before the seven-year tribulation begins. Now, the nation of Israel was reestablished by the United Nations after World War II in 1948. And since then, Israel has been at war with the Muslim nations of the Middle East. What is noteworthy is that many of the nations that seek the destruction of Israel today are named in a specific battle mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now remember, this famous battle of Gog and Magog is the first of several major campaigns against the nation of Israel that takes place at the beginning of the tribulation. Now the prophecy begins in Ezekiel naming the coalitions of armies or coalition of nations that attack Israel. 
Now, the coalition of nations that are mentioned in this prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 through 6, here are the key nations that are mentioned. First, Gog. And since Gog is mentioned first, Gog is the military leader of the coalition who comes from Magog. Magog is the land between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea up north. Meshach, Tubal, and Gomer is located in the present-day country of northern Turkey. Persia is mentioned, and of course, Persia is our old friend, the nation of Iran. Kush, Kush is present-day Sudan and northern Ethiopia, and Put is the modern-day Libya. Now, the leader of this coalition is Gog and Magog. They're between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, so they're up north, and so they would be the present-day nation of Russia. Now, these are just the key nations that are mentioned here. There's probably smaller nations as well that will be associated in this battle. But the Bible mentions these nations here specifically because these are probably the major or the key players led by Gog and Magog. That would be present-day Russia. Now, this coalition will rise and march against the nation of Israel sometime early before the tribulation begins. Now, what is also noteworthy in this prophecy is in verse 8 of chapter 38 it mentions that the people of Israel will have been gathered from many nations throughout the world and regathered to the nation of Israel verse 8 reads after many days you will be mustered in the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel and so this prophecy talks about the Jewish people who have been regathered and restored to the land of Israel coming from many nations. Now, some believe there's a popular interpretation there that the regathering, this regathering talked about in Ezekiel, they believe it to be the return from Babylon, from the Babylonian exile which occurred in 500 BC. But this was a return from one country. Here, the regathering of spoken in this passage is from many countries, and it seems to better fit the return of the Jews to Israel that occurred in 1948, where Jews from all over the world were being regathered to the nation of Israel. Now, since the creation of Israel, the Muslim nations have refused to acknowledge her as a nation and her right to exist. And there have been several key wars by the Muslim nations upon the nation of Israel since her return. Here are just a few of the significant ones. The first, the day after they were regathered and declared a nation by the United Nations, five Arab nations, Jordan, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon, attacked Israel the day after she was formed. And this is the famous War of Independence. Israel hardly having much of an army there the day after they were formed. It looked like they were doomed to be destroyed. However, they were able to fight off their foes and win a great victory that day. And it was declared as a great disaster by the Islamic world. Well, in 1967, there was the famous Six-Day War where the nations of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, funded and armed by the Russians, attacked the nation of Israel. And in an amazing way, in just six days, Instead of losing ground, Israel recaptured the city of Jerusalem and also other territory and ended up expanding 
her territory to the north, to the east, and to the south. And then in 1973, there is the famous Battle of Yom Kippur, where nine Arab nations and four African countries in a coalition attacked the nation of Israel on the holy day of Yom Kippur. It looked like Israel was doomed until finally the, the United States stepped forward and came to the aid of the nation of Israel, and Israel was able to defeat their enemies and repulse the attack from all of these nations. Now, in each of these significant wars, and there have been many others throughout the years as well, but in each of these wars, there was an alliance of Islamic nations funded and armed by the Russians that sought the destruction of the nation of Israel. Now, in the Ezekiel 38 prophecy in the future, in this future battle that is to come, there will be an alliance of these Middle Eastern nations. And if it is to happen soon, it would be an alliance of these Islamic nations led by Gog and Magog, which would be the nation of Russia. And so we see a pattern of this kind of coalition occurring there in the Middle East, seeking the destruction of Israel. And it has consistently been the Russians who have armed and funded this Islamic coalition that attacked the nation of Israel. Now, in this battle, there is an alliance of these present-day Islamic nations led by Gog and Magog that will come upon the nation of Israel. Now, according to this passage, they will come and attack the nation of Israel from the north, from the east, and from the south. From all sides, they will come and attack the nation of Israel as was done previously in the series of battles I just talked about earlier. However, the result of their attack is that God will show himself to be real to his people and to the people of the world and will miraculously deliver the nation of Israel. It says here in verse 16 of chapter 38, You will come against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land. The nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Presently, the Muslim nations that surround Israel seek the destruction of Israel. And if more radical, hardline Islamic regimes take over, Israel will be in great danger. And several of these nations we know fund terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, terrorist organizations created for the sole purpose of the destruction of Israel. And we know that Russia has funded many of these nations and these organizations. They have funded them financially and provided them with military arms. Robert McLean is a research associate at the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and he writes, From Algeria and Venezuela to Syria and Iran, Moscow displays few reservations to arming any regime that can help fuel its defense industry. Just recently, Fox News and other news agencies reported that on July 24th of 2015, Qasim Soleimani, the commander of the Iranian Quds Forces, recently, after agreeing with the United States on a nuclear deal, this man recently visited Moscow to meet with senior Russian leaders, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Soigu and President Vladimir Putin, despite a travel ban and a U.N. Security Council resolution barring him from leaving Iran. 
Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion to part three of Pat's teaching on Iran, ISIS, and Israel. We hope you enjoyed Pat's teaching. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you right there on the site. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. <laughs>